All right, welcome everybody. Uh, Rhonda Lowry was actually going to teach uh, this morning, but uh, with the passing of her brother, uh, we're Randall and I are going to teach today. But let's uh, keep her and her family in our prayers uh, and look forward to her teaching in a couple weeks. Uh, today we're going to look at John chapter four and some of chapter five. So. Turn in your Bibles or your Fibles or whatever you have to uh, John chapter 4. And uh, this is a story of Jesus meeting a woman at the well. So this is, uh, as I've said the first week, John is not my favorite gospel, but I'll give him this one. This is a good story. He does a good job on this chapter 4. I enjoyed uh, reading this and studying it. And... The thing I, one of the things I enjoy about it is um, Jesus, he, he likes to take people for a ride. He likes to, he likes to, I don't know, almost joke, but almost put people in a, he, I, I say maybe he plays with people. Uh, and it seems like he does that in this story. So I'll be interested to get your thoughts about this. Uh, and also, one, one thought I have as, I, as we read through this is how often, and Randall mentioned this last week, how often people in the Gospel of John misunderstand what Jesus says. So until Jesus is fully revealed in the death and resurrection, you have a lot of misunderstandings of who he was. And then they come back after those final events and if you were to read through this gospel uh, as someone who experienced it but, but didn't know what the ending was, and then you go back and read it through again, you would get all these different uh, meanings from what Jesus says. So that's a really interesting thing about this story. So let's start reading of, uh, John chapter 4. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, one thing I have a question about here is, why do you think Jesus didn't baptize anybody? It would one-up you. If you had been baptized by Jesus. Yeah, so it would create this super class, possibly, of Jesus followers. I was baptized by Jesus himself, so you need to listen to what I say. Paul didn't baptize. Paul didn't baptize? Did he not baptize? 1 Corinthians 1.14. What does that say? That he didn't like to baptize. Let's read that. Okay, I can read it. <laughs> I know, I'm, doesn't he doesn't he, <laughs> doesn't he say in there that I didn't baptize very many of you right. something like that right. yeah. well but he was discussing that some were saying they were with Paul and Cephas yeah. and Apollos and I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you yes I also baptized the house of Stephanus beyond that I don't remember if I baptized anybody else so he baptized some people some just not many. <laughs> I just want to correct. Not, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not for the words of human wisdom. So, Paul did not baptize many people. Okay. <laughs> Jesus did not baptize any people. Okay. Um, so, now he's going from Judea back up to Galilee. Uh, if you know the geography a little bit, the, the nation or is it nation of Samaria is in between Judea and Galilee. Uh, Jews and Samaritans don't get along. I don't know what a good analogy would be for us today. Uh, they, the Samaritans uh, are the... Uh, ancestors of the people who were left behind when the Assyrians came and took the Israelites into captivity. So a lot of people were taking off, taken off into captivity. Some people were left behind. The people that were left behind 
intermarried with uh, the foreigners and the non-Jewish people and developed this alternate type of part Jewish but, but not really Jewish community. They built their own temple on Mount Gerizim in, in Samaria. And so they worshiped God, but they didn't worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So it's sometimes like your enemies that are the closest to you are your worst enemies, even though you, because you share some things in common. Um, so I remember thinking about uh, this like um, in Churches of Christ circles when, when somebody like a Rubel Shelley would who, who was really kind of on the conservative side and, and everybody's kind of like, oh yeah, he's got, he wrote a great book. I remember I was going through my library just a few days ago and I found a book he wrote called Sing His Praise, A Case for Acapella Worship. And uh, I showed it to somebody and they're like, Rupal Shelley wrote a book like that? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And, uh, but when somebody who's close to you takes a different side, you know, just kind of the vitriol that he received because he kind of he he got worse than somebody who never was conservative, right? So uh, I think about these occasions where you have people who are kind of close, but then they they're seen as being other and going the other direction, and some of the times that animosity is ratcheted up. Uh, the story is sometimes Jews would would avoid Samaria by going across the Jordan, going up that way, and coming back into Galilee, but sometimes it's just easier to go straight through Samaria. So uh, verse 4 says he had to go through Samaria. Uh, Some people take that as he had to because he needed to meet this woman at the well. Uh, But not exactly sure how to take that. He had to go through Samaria. Maybe they were pressed for time or something. I don't know. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. Now many people point out that noon is not the usual time you would go get water from a well because it would be hot. Um, So there may be a reason why this woman is coming to the well at noon. Uh, There's a chair up here if you want to sit in the very front. If there's some other chairs up here, don't feel like you have to stand up. Uh, Come in and get comfortable if you'd like. Okay, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now that phrase living water is sometimes used in the New Testament and in that, that world uh, for running water versus water that's in a well or in a cistern. So living water can be water that's running, running water. So there's a way of hearing this where she's thinking, um, okay, living water would be like water from a stream maybe colder, fresher water. But we see there's going to be a double meaning here. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did all his sons and his flocks and herds? So um, she asked this as a rhetorical question. Are you greater than Jacob and those of us who know the end of the gospel and kind of come to this as believers we're like ha 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 that's funny Uh, yeah yeah he's better than Jacob he's gonna be better than Jacob so John has this replacement theme where Jesus is better than uh, he's kind of the fulfillment of what God has been pointing to all along so the things in the Old Testament Jesus is fulfilling that and giving a better version of that Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So what does the water symbolize? 
thoughts? Later, he says, I'm the bread of life. Here, he's the water of life. He's the source, the spirit he gives is the source of life. Yeah, the, the spirit. So John 7, 37, just a few chapters later. Uh, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So there is a sense in which this living water symbolizes the Spirit that Jesus is pouring out on those who believe in him. Um, Welling up to eternal life. So John has this what in theological circles is called realized eschatology. I use this as my, the team name for my fantasy baseball team this year. Um, I like using theological terms in my fantasy league. Uh, realized eschatology. So John says you have eternal life now. Eternal life is not something you get when you die or you get in the future. Eternal life is something that starts while you're still alive. That's so if you believe in Christ you never die. So that's tough to understand. Uh, in a spiritual sense we live on and we have hope of resurrection in a physical sense. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Still on a different level, right? So now Jesus comes out of left field. Go call your husband and come back. Why, why does he bring up a husband? What's he, what's he doing here? Okay, go bring your husband. Come back. She says, I don't have a, a husband. So is she right about that? She's right. Yeah. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So, that's interesting, isn't it? So, she's had five husbands. What happened to these husbands? <laughs> Somebody said she might have killed them off. <laughs> yeah, James. Yeah, I read about that in a commentary yesterday. Commentary went on to say he didn't think that was the right interpretation. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't see that. That doesn't seem obvious from the context. But people with John, they try to find all types of applications. That, I mean, some of those are sometimes it means more than what it says. But in this case, I think it it's more literal. But that is a possibility. Yeah. I, I assume that they either died or divorced, um, but she had five husbands. Um, it, does this mean it's her fault? Is she, I mean, is, is she in the wrong for of having that many? Do you think it was her fault that she had five was husbands? It, was it a kind of easy for a, a man to just yeah. a relationship that he is not careful? And one of the reasons that Moses didn't allow divorce was to protect women from being put out with no way of supporting themselves. Yeah. So I don't read this as much these days as, you know, she was a really sinful woman. Maybe maybe some of these things were not her fault. Possibly. Well, the point was, I thought he told her 
facts about her life without ever having met her. Yeah. Kind of like Karnak back on Johnny Carson. Yeah. <laughs> he knew the answers without ever having seen the question. Uh, but, yeah. But here, she said, he must be a prophet. Yeah. So then his credibility is established. Yeah. So she listens differently. Look, looking at the context real quick, are we certain that Jesus isn't just being cheeky when he says, when the truth is you've had five husbands? Are you sure he's not just being literal, saying you have literally had five husbands, as opposed to saying you have slept with five different men who are not your husband? Because then he goes on to say, the, woman, the man that you now have is also not your husband. Yeah. Um, there's something that John points out very early on that we, we skip over. Um, let's see what verse. He says it was, it was about noon. Um, if, if you know anything about the context of the time, you don't go draw water at midday. Right. You don't do that. You would go with other women in the morning. The women would go together to draw water at the well. She would by herself yeah. at midday, which alludes to a certain level of shame and yeah. and discomfort for her to not go with everyone else. Yeah. She wanted to go by herself because she felt shame for who she is. And maybe she was a pariah in society at that time as well. Yeah, I think that I think we can get that implication here. So Jesus is showing that he's a prophet by the special knowledge that he has, not knowing her, but knowing all her story, but also showing that she has needs that go beyond just water. So she needs the living water. So she has needs that uh, he's, he's bringing out by asking her that, that cheeky question of, oh, go get your husband. And so she's, she's had five. Um, I think probably that they're, they either died, probably divorced five times, and she's living with a guy who's not her husband now. I think it's um, funny that she doesn't want to talk about that. Right. Yeah, so uh, she changes the subject pretty fast. So, um, verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. So, to avoid getting personal, ask a religious controversial question, right? <laughs> so this is the move everybody makes. Um, you go to church, well, what do you, what does your church believe? Because I don't know, my church believes this, you know, that type of thing. Uh, so let's stay away from the personal and get to the theological. Or it could be that a, a more generous reading is, oh, he's a prophet. We have this huge discrepancy. I get to ask a prophet a good question. This question about uh, who's right, the Jews or the Samaritans. Uh, woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus says the Jews are the, they have it right in lots of ways. The Jews are the way that God has chosen to bring about the Messiah chosen to reveal himself to the world. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. So what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? It means to worship with your heart and worship without an instrument. This is what uh, <laughs> that's what I was taught growing up. That's what's passage. <laughs> uh, Rubel's first book, sing his praise. Um, you got to worship right, and you got to worship. I mean, even if you worship right and you your heart's not in it, then you're still not right. So you got to be sincere, and you got to do it right. Is that what it means to worship in truth? Yeah, James. Yeah. I don't take it that there's no relationship at all. It's just that Jesus is affirming that the Jew, the Jews, are the way that God has revealed Himself to the world, and I'm coming from the Jews as fulfillment of those promises to Israel. Uh, so, I guess in a sense, He's saying we have it right, but I think the the contrast is there now now is the time, it's coming and now is, now that he is here to fulfill these things, those types of questions don't matter anymore. 
So this passage is about how the Samaritans are now part of God's people. So at one time, the Jews were God's people, but now anybody who believes in Jesus is going to be God's people. So it's, it's an inclusion, story of inclusion. I think point. it also speaks to her shame that she's feeling, that now she has worth. She can be included not yeah. only in worship, but in the Spirit of God. Not only as a Samaritan, but as a woman who's been divorced five times. Is, I think something ultimately, when you go back to living water, yes, it's eternal life, but also for her, that's freedom while yeah. she's here, which she's never experienced. So forgiveness from your past... And that past can be sinful, that past can be religious problems or religious error, all those things. So belief in Jesus makes you included, includes everybody. Yeah. That's a good, this is a good story. I like this one. Um, Okay, where are we? Verse uh, 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming when he comes he will explain everything to us then jesus declared i the one speaking to you i am he so in john's gospel jesus comes right out claims to be the messiah something you don't get in the other gospels as much so so wait a minute You're, are you gonna not expound on ego, ego and me? i'm not because uh <laughs> so what randall is saying is this this Greek phrase, I am, when he says, I'm the one speaking to you, I am, uh, is the famous way that God describes himself to Moses at the burning bush. He says, uh, you know, he tried to, has to convince Moses to go to, to Egypt, to Pharaoh, uh, and Moses says, well, who should I say called me? And he says, I am who I am, or can be translated, I will be who I will be. It's the word Yahweh in um, Hebrew, for which we get the personal covenant name for God. Um, It's possible that John's having Jesus say, when he says, I am, um, reflecting back to say, hey, I'm God. The only problem with that is there's, there's a place in John, and I'll have to look it up to know exactly, but I think it's when he heals a blind man and then later that blind man somewhere else and somebody says are you the one that Jesus healed guess what he says I am <laughs> so, so it doesn't always have that reference back so I can't that makes me hesitant to say that that's what John meant but it is possible but don't you think it's good for everybody to know <laughs> 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 they don't, make their own yeah choice. yeah they can make their own choice it's just I that's think it's. All, I th- that's all I want from you. I don't want you to teach it. Just let us make our own choice. You can be wrong if you want to. <laughs> you get to decide if John meant that more of that than just. That's how you. That's how you say I am, though. That's how you say it's me. As you say I am. That's how you say it. So it doesn't always have that connection. <sighs> okay. <laughs> but isn't it fun to study the Bible? You get to decide for yourself. Okay, uh, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? John doesn't tell us why they didn't ask this. So we get to, why do you think they, they didn't ask? They're tired of getting burned. <laughs> so they, at this point, maybe they know Jesus well enough to know, okay, he must have something going on here. Um, if we ask he's going to be like oh you foolish disciples when will you learn so sometimes people don't ask questions in class because they don't want to look stupid right? or um, maybe they were hungry they just went to get food Yeah. if we ask him this we're not going to get it we're going to be in John, in John Jesus has really long speeches don't ask him just, just so we got to eat yeah I like that no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Uh, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? That, that question in Greek, there's a way of, answering, of asking a question that expects a positive answer, and there's a way of asking a question that expects a negative answer. 
And it's interesting to me that the way she asked this question expects a negative answer. So you could even translate it, this can't be the Messiah, can it? Um, yeah, so your translation might try to bring that out. Yeah. So, so to me that indicates that she's not totally convinced or at least uh, maybe it's maybe it's not that strong maybe it's just that she's still in unbelief that this could be what happened um, they came out of the town and made their way toward him meanwhile his disciples urged him rabbi eat something but he said to them I have food to eat that you know nothing about and his disciples said to each other someone brought him food Somebody snuck Jesus some food. He has food to eat that we don't know about. So Jesus carried around little statues of snacks that he didn't want all the disciples to know about. We have this in our, in our house. And, you know, I have my stash. I shouldn't say this with my wife here, but yeah, I have a stash. Um, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now those who reap draw their wages. Even now they harvest the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world, not just the Savior of the Jews. Yeah? So is that saying they found belief in the negative question? Yeah. That's interesting. Like you said, it sounds like at the time, she's not fully convinced, but from somewhere they had a glimmer of faith that made them even go. Yeah. That, that gives hope to people. You don't have to know all the answers to, to evangelize or to share your, what you do know. Just share what you do know, and then the people that come to Jesus will believe based on their own experience of Jesus, not on your experience. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Jesus is talking about his food is to do the will. So... I don't know if you've ever been so involved in some, some good work activity that you don't get hungry or you can go for a while without eating, but that's kind of the sense I get here. Uh, there's a book called Flow, where if you ever reach that flow where you, time seems to go really fast, it means you've found what you're calling, you've found what you're supposed to do with your life. So uh, to do the will of his Father, Jesus says, that's, that's the best thing. I don't need food um, if I'm doing that. Some sense. Yeah. Jesus continually being the opposite of the Pharisees and the teaching of God, healing the, the leprosy by touching them. We know back then you didn't touch leprosy right. because it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And then here, he's spending a night or two with these um, with Samaritans. Samaritans that yeah. the Jews did not associate with right. at all. So yeah. he's in their village, he's talking to them. Yeah. So it's a whole different world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's including people that have been excluded for a long time. Yeah. I, I can remember growing up. Uh, I was at the movie. I called the movie. I was at the movie. I moved on the side of the town. That was mostly Jewish. It was Jewish cemeteries. Yeah. Yeah. And then in this 
verse here, chapter four, God is the spirit. But I think I think his the deeper issue here is uh, the segregation of races and how the Jews thought they were not, were not even permitted to marry outside of the Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, Jesus is opening up, and it's something that was very controversial, and uh, we'll see even in um, coming up that you know the Jews, some of the Jews, not all the Jews, some wanted to kill Jesus because of this. So it, it was a very controversial message of inclusion, uh, both race, gender, the fact that he's talking to a woman. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, I think. So if the question is, why would John include this? What is John trying to tell us about Jesus with this, by describing how, how Jesus treats this woman? Yeah. Maybe to echo Robert's point a little bit more, if you look at the uh, prior chapter, it's interesting. Jesus is with what we would call today an influence. If you look at the prior chapter, Jesus is with someone today we would call an influence. That's Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Yeah. And uh, most logic would say, well, that's who you want to reveal. Okay. The fact that you're a Messiah to is high up in the culture, yeah. power structure, the influencer. He sort of skirts around the edges with Nicodemus, but he goes right to the point with the Samaritan, the woman, multiple husbands, yeah. as far down the power structure as one could find. Yeah. So I think the contrast between the two chapters is not yeah. So it's a grassroots type thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it says a lot about how Jesus included outsiders, how he included females, how he included sinful people, all those things wrapped up in the story. Um, yeah? Makes me think, why didn't Jesus go to like the city square? I mean, maybe the well was, but he literally just went one person. Yeah. It was that person who spread it. Yeah. You know? How crazy is that? Yeah. Think. If you're really trying to make a, a new thing when you announce it to so many people make yourself kind of look at the center of the story but yeah. it's never like that it's a story best told person to person isn't it yeah 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 we'll come up to you so yeah savior of the world yeah that's that's significant that this is going to be bigger and this is what you know when Solomon built the temple he says of course God doesn't you cannot restrict God to uh, one place. God is the God of heavens and the earth. So they, they know this, right? There's one thing to know this intellectually, but then when you actually have a place, then that place becomes like an idol. And uh, there's all kinds of warnings here about not idolizing certain things and seeing God as being bigger than that. Yeah, what were you going to say, Sally? Also, I think it's so interesting that this woman who was avoiding everyone, she does question, is this really who, who I think it is? But she goes into town and totally yeah. opens herself up to all kinds of ridicule that would be possible. Yeah. And yet the people are intrigued enough to go out and find out, we, you know, just her. The change 
the immediate change in her is yeah. very significant. Yeah. She becomes one of the first evangelists in the whole gospel, uh, in Jesus' whole ministry. Uh, she's one of the first evangelists, is a Samaritan woman. So, yeah. It says that she left her water jar. People often point to that, that she left, then leaving her water jar. This is verse 28. The woman went back to town. Now, um, I've learned from, you know, kind of watching movies carefully that if, if they're well done, the director doesn't leave anything in there that doesn't have a reason to be in there. So is this just, uh, hey, she happened to leave her water jar? I mean, why, why is that detail? I think the reason John mentions that detail, especially in John's gospel, he's good at uh, noting what time it is, and there's usually some significance to noting that, or it was nighttime. Uh, doesn't just mean it was nighttime. It means it was there's a dark thing that's about to happen in the nighttime, something like that. So she left her water jar. What's the point of that? She's she's starting to get that there's a deeper message to this living water. So she doesn't need. She's so interested in the living water that she leaves behind the, the physical thing that she came for because she found the spiritual thing. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Um, there's uh, the rest of chapter four. There's a story about uh, healing an official son from a distance. I think the point is that this official believed Jesus' words. Uh, before he actually went to see, make sure that the servant was healed. So there's, John has this theme of blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. This comes up at the very end of the gospel with Thomas who wanted to see the, the scars in his hands and feet. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. Chapter 5, I know we have just a few minutes, but it <clears throat> starts out with a healing at a pool. Um... There is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool in which an Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. You can go to that pool. Uh, Randall, can you go to that pool in Jerusalem? Yeah, they found it. Um, your translation, like the King James had a verse here that explained why people gathered around this pool. If you have a newer translation, it's going to be in the footnotes. It says... Um, they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first person in the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. I always thought, that is the cruelest way to do a healing <laughs> it's of crippled people. It's to stir the wa- have an angel come stir the water. First one in gets healed. That's just, that doesn't make sense to me that God would do that. And in the, if you read the King James, that's in the text. Uh, I think what has happened is scribes were filling in. I mean, that's what people thought was happening. It's one thing for people to think that's what was happening. I guess I'm okay with that because we kind of see different healing sites where people think they can get healed if they touch something or uh, have some magical powers like that. But to actually have that in the text of what really happened, I always thought that, that's, not a, that's not godlike to um, first one in gets a healing. Um, <laughs> But um, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Why? What kind of question is that? Why does Jesus ask him, do you want to get well? In 38 years, he obviously could have found someone to help him. A lot of commentators point this out that Maybe this man is kind of, uh, he's not one of the people that you would have a lot of sympathy for because they, he's kind of gotten used to this lifestyle of begging sort of at, at the pool. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah. You could be closer. Yeah. He asked. He asked blind man, what, "What do you want?" Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, sometimes you, and he, he did that on a number of occasions. Yeah. He would ask people with certain restrictions why, what they wanted, and you know you almost go like, uh, "What do you think?" Yeah. 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 I can't see. Yeah. He wasn't going to heal people against their will. Well, that's true. He's going to. There's, you got to have a desire yeah. to change, to have your life changed. Uh, so he heals this guy. Um, says, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy does that. And then people are like, hey, it's a Sabbath day. I think Jesus is saying, we're breaking the Sabbath. We're going to break the Sabbath together. Uh, and we're going to get criticized. But it's going to show that I'm, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Um, but then in verse 14, we just have a few minutes here. Uh, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Oh, I don't like that. Um, but we're out of time. No, it's just... <laughs> um, okay, I think the something worse is probably uh, final judgment type thing um, does this imply that his his physical condition had been the result of sin yeah it seems to me that that's what that implies uh, but does that mean that everybody's physical condition is a result of sin not even in John's gospel so John chapter 9 verses 1 to 3 is kind of the famous place to go uh, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So it's important to bring out that I think sometimes uh, physical problems can be the result of sin. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that some people got sick and died because of the way they were taking the Lord's Supper Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead um, in Acts chapter 5. So there, there is possibly a relationship between some physical suffering and sin, but not every, we cannot say that every time somebody suffers or we suffer that it's a result of sin. Yeah. George, I've kind of interpreted that as God is not specifically striking the sin, but as a consequence of something that you have done, this was the result. Just right. like you know, not wearing a seatbelt and having an auto yeah. accident. Now you've got a leg issue. It can be a natural consequence yes. of activities. It's not but something that, that God specifically strikes somebody. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. And of course, all, all suffering in some sense is a result of Adam and Eve and sin against God and that, that we're in a fallen world, that type of thing. So there's some ways of talking about that. Okay, thank you a lot for being here this morning and going through John. Uh, we'll do chapter 6 next week. Uh, Randall's teaching chapter 6 if you want to read ahead. I thought it was you. So, Check it again. Because I thought she's out of town. So how did she know he was a Jew? Did he wear a yarmulke? I think there's some way that they dress differently. I don't know. You know, back in the uh, 90s when the violence was still going on in Northern Ireland, Often wonder that. Yeah, how do they know? How do they know who to shoot? See, I think maybe they purposely wear things to show how different they are. But yeah, you might have had those like fringes and tassels, you know. It's gone okay. It's hit or miss sometimes. Oh, it's over here. That's your yeah. Thank you, George. Yeah, thanks for being here. So did you? You didn't change the thing. Yeah, I didn't. Did you look at it? I looked. I thought next week Ron was supposed to do five. Oh no, I did four. I was supposed to do four and five. Six is next. So okay, that's fine. George Park. Hey, yeah, nice to see you. Yeah, I was going to. Is this is this a play on an Old Testament woman at the well story? Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's what that's what immediately comes to mind. Yeah. You know, meeting a woman at the well, and in a sense, he is the bridegroom. That's really stretching. Yeah, I know that's that's really pushing. Well, no, there's something. There may be something there. I need to give it some thought. Yeah.
woman at the well. There's always, you know, there's a man meets a woman at the well. Draws a woman, you know, it's the whole thing. It's in the Old Testament. It's a type scene. Yeah, you know, type scene. It's, yeah. Uh, that's where when you when yeah, you have when somebody you at, a at a well, the well there's going to be a marriage. Like when they say that they left Jesus niece out at a well. Yeah. Their expectation is something's yeah, going to happen here. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's yeah. what immediately struck me. Is yeah. It really fits. Yeah. Maybe it's strange. No, I don't. I think there's something there. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you work for a company, you don't work for a company. There's no there's no benefits. I, I'm still looking for maybe a okay let's hear it I gotta I gotta have uh, your context of why you don't think that uh, you don't think an angel would stir the waters <laughs> I just don't it seems cruel. I guess in some ways it's good because somebody's getting healed. But first one in? I mean, first come, first serve? Here's the deal. When I look at God's track record, yeah. I mean, when he destroyed all of Jericho except for one section of law where Rahab was, or he tells Naaman to go yeah. dip himself seven times in water, Naaman didn't want to do that. I think, for me, the Bible is littered with really odd requests where you go, that's weird, God. But it's usually not magical. Like, you know, there's close. There's close to times when it's... And it's hard to define magical versus, you know, miraculous. Sure. But to me, magical is there's some automatic thing that you can do and you get healed. And the fact that it's automatic makes me think God doesn't usually work that way where this is automatic. There's some things like that. I feel like there's some things that have other there, things that have happened. Well, there are some t t like so. There's one place, like maybe in the prophet days with Elijah or Elijah. There, there, a lot of those stories are magical. like the floating axe head. The floating axe head. There's also Elijah one where using the he tells a guy to because uh, he was bald. He tells a guy to bang arrows against the ground. Right. And he bangs it three times. He's like, oh, well, you only banged it three times, so you're only going to kill right. 30 people. If you had banged it 10 right. times, you would. So that, that, that sounds magical, for sure. Or, you know, Moses uh, striking a rock instead of speaking to that's it. Right. Or, and, and, that's right. And yeah, then getting cursed. Because he did it exactly yeah. right. Like, there, there, there is, it seems to be things like that all over the place. And speaking of angels, you know the story of David and the angel of death when David... God said, don't yeah. take a census of your army. Yeah, yeah. And David did anyways and found out he had like 10 million people in his right, army. Yeah. And God sent an angel of death and with like a giant sword started just mowing down yeah. random citizens. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just saying, I, know. I, I, I don't know that it's beyond the realm of like disbelief. Like, it's not, God it's doesn't just, work that way. It's just another thing that I'd rather not have to be in there. <laughs> and, you know, the the earliest copies we have of John, those verses aren't there. Really? So, so how did they make their way in? Are they not in the original? They're not. Well, you don't have uh, the original, the but they're not in the earliest ones we found. So the King James was translated in 1601, I think, or 16 in the early 1600s. Um, and we since 1600, we found some earlier copies of John yeah. than they had, uh, and the, those verses aren't in there. So yeah. the scribes were kind of. And what scribes were want to do this, you know, they would kind of put expl explanatory notes in the margins, usually at the beginning, and then some scribe would come along later and say, oh, they must have left that out right. by mistake. I'll put it in. Right. So eventually it makes it into the text. Right. At first was a, just kind of, this explains why they were hanging out at the pool. Right. Now, it's, it's clear that that's what they thought was going to happen. Right. But, um, so as yeah. a Bible scholar, what do you say to people that, um, to, see, as a person of faith, I read the Bible, and there are all different versions of the Bible, but we take the Bible as uh, this is the holy word of God. Mm -hmm. Man lives on, you, know, you have to live on every word of the mouth of God. This is this is the living word of God. But then somebody who's a non-believer says, yeah, but that book was pieced together and yeah. butchered by the Catholic Church, and there's some things that are in and some things that are out. How in the world can you say this is it when man put it together over thousands of years? Like, what would you say to that? First of all, I have no answer for that. I go, you know the, what? You got to take it on faith. At some John point. one, the word of God is Jesus. Right. Okay. The word of God is not the Bible. And right. So I'm not saying the word of. Understand what I'm saying here. The sure. true word of the God word, is Jesus. Yeah. What we have in the Bible are pe human beings 
testifying to what they saw and heard God doing. And the Old Testament is what God did through Israel, and the New Testament what God did through Jesus. Right. So the Bible is a very human book because Christ, that's the genius of Christianity. It's not. It's something we don't really like because we'd rather just have God's encyclopedia dictated to a person. But instead we get stories, we get it fresh off the lips of people who were there and experienced it. And I think there's a reason for, for Christian the Christian way of thinking about religion is it's always a partnership between God and humans. God doesn't just ever do it for you. He wants you to partner with Him. So I think it's, it's in some ways the genius of Christianity that we have a human book that's put together by and passed down over centuries and copied and mistakes are in there. It makes me realize that, yeah, you don't have to know exactly Mm-hmm. You get the gist. You need the gist. Sure. We so, have enough to have the gist, and that's enough. So Paul says in a couple areas, uh, was it every word of Scripture is God breathed? And then he yeah. also says, if anyone preaches a different gospel than you, like a curse be upon yeah. their head. Like even if we teach a different gospel yeah. than what we've already preached to you via the Spirit, then basically a curse be upon us. Yeah. Um, doesn't that essentially mean like this This is the truth? The gospel. And anything a- a- averted from this is not the truth? That we can trust the Spirit to deliver the gospel in ways that's bigger than even Paul. Paul says if we or somebody else preaches a different gospel. So it's bigger than just the people. Right. And we have to trust that God through the Spirit is going to make His Word powerful. Sure. So it's not up to me, it's not up to you, it's not up to the copiers or even the apostles. The Spirit is working through this imperfect book. Sure, It's imperfect. I mean, I'm not saying it's you know, some people say in the original, man, if we had all the original manuscripts, there wouldn't be any mistakes. Sure. We don't know. We don't have those. Right. But well, we I, had just, the penitent, I just we had the think penitent, right? we, don't, we don't have any original. I thought we did. I thought we had no. like the original Torah. No. Interesting. No. That we don't have anywhere close. Like the earliest thing we have of, uh, let me think about this now. I mean, the Septuagint is really earlier, the Greek translation of the, Pentateuch is earlier than some of the Hebrew Greek, manuscripts we have. The earliest we could have is in Greek. Yeah. Not even Hebrew. Yeah. But you know, I think the, the Mas- Dead Sea Scrolls, though, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, Isaiah. That's you know, there's a copy of Isaiah that goes back to like 200 BC. So Isaiah lived in 800 BC. Right. Yeah. Almost a. a so that's 600 years. years. So we don't have anything close to original. <laughs> Which we wouldn't expect to have because sure. it's written on paper. things that don't last very long, yeah. and it's just copied. Whenever they put it on, it wasn't even paper. What was it? Parchment and papyrus leaves that have been dried out. So, yeah. So we don't have any. I think the if we had something original, we might be tempted to worship it. You know, you the think thing, so? the thing, not possibly. I mean, it's just it would become a relic, especially. In Catholicism, they love relics, you know. I feel so. like, based on who we understand God to be, you have to you have to believe that there is just one truth. He says, you know, there is there's a narrow path, a narrow gate. I, I don't I don't believe that it's so open up for interpretation that there's just many paths. Right. But you, if you just get the gist, then I feel like there's well, there's an obedience and sacrifice that goes through knowing one holy and righteous truth like God is perfect God yeah. is perfect so there has to be just one righteous truth if you're called to be holy and righteous there has to be just one truth there there is one truth but the thing is we're human so we're finite and we're fallen humans we're not just human we're imper- we're sinful humans so we're going to twist the truth that we know to to our own ends mm-hmm. so i think those are things that that make us realize that we're never going to have god's that's not the purpose. We're not God. Sure. So we're not going to know. I think there is an absolute truth for sure. I believe that. I think there has to be or there's no standards, right? Mm-hmm. But we also have to have the humility to realize we're not ever going to see see it with God's eyes. Sure. Uh, so we well, always we're have to pray to for that. Pray for it Jesus and said. work toward it. I'm not saying we don't. I think we can, we can rule out some things. Mm-hmm. I think we can say that's definitely not right and that's not right so it's somewhere in here so I'm not saying it's all open to whatever you think Mm. I think there are some guidelines but um, you know there's a verse later in chapter 5 we didn't get to where he says you know you you Pharisees you study the scriptures every day and then Mm -hmm. I come to fulfill them and you 
you've missed out what sure. the scripture's talking about. Well, that's because over how long had it been since the, the prophets, since they heard from God, specifically God, the prophets and the priests, to, till Jesus, it's been what? It had been 800 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So over 800 years, they developed their own eisegetical yeah. Yeah. interpretations of, the, of their scripture. And also, it was also based on their own pride as well. Like they are the saviors right. of the world. Yeah, I see that as a cautionary tale that Jesus, Jesus really pulled the rug out from under them. Yeah, he fulfilled it and he, he gave them a way of reading it you know, he he quotes it and thinks it's true and sure. says not a single jot or tittle of this is going to pass away. Sure. But I'm fulfilling it sure. in ways that they they had it and they studied it and they could have known. Jesus does say, you should have known. Sure. You should have recognized, but they didn't. Well, so. the, I'm sorry, your family's waiting. No, it's okay. No, we we got to kill time anyway. Oh, okay. This <laughs> is why. So I I, um, I love this book called Jesus to Middle Eastern Eyes. Okay. It's I'm not aware of that one, but awesome. Yeah. It, it it colors in the context of the way the Jews and the Middle Eastern people of that time would have uh, the way Jesus spoke to them so that they could understand, and the customs and everything that they had spent 800 years ingraining into the, their own biases. And the way Pharisees saw Jesus, and the way the people in Galilee mm-hmm. saw Jesus' yeah. Samaritans, and the way Jesus talked to them using the parables and things like that. It's a phenomenal book. Really? But um, that's really opened my eyes just into the intentionality of the way Jesus talks to them. So last week, and even Josh said the same story from the pulpit about, uh, I think it's a pretty big assumption that when Jesus says, woman, uh, at, at the right, wedding, right, woman, yeah. um, you know, why do you bother with this? Yeah. It's not yet my time. The assumption they, they came to is they needed, Jesus, that's his way of saying, I'm getting my mother's permission to start mm-hmm. my ministry. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's a pretty big leap. It's a leap. That's, yeah. a, that's a pretty big leap. It doesn't it doesn't fit the Jesus I know, especially since Jesus has already been baptized. And the Spirit's mm-hmm. already been mm-hmm. ascended on him like a dove. He's already been tempted in the wilderness and already mm-hmm. picked six disciples. Yeah. Um, and Philip already said, when he said, Jesus said, I saw you under the tree, and he said, yeah. you're the Son of God, yeah. which is also a huge statement because they didn't believe that Messiah and the Son of God were the same people. Right, right. Huge stuff. So he's already been affirmed, 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 affirmed. His ministry's already started. He already has a mm-hmm. following. Mm-hmm. Anyways, my point of all saying that is uh, the intentionality of Jesus, even from, even from his birth and, and God and who he chose to come worship Jesus, where he was chose mm-hmm. to be worshipped, um, you know, he was lying in a manger with the animals, with the animals, um, where there was no there was no room. It was a crowded house, basically. Um, and God didn't say, hey, Pharisees or leaders of the law, teachers of the law, go and worship mm-hmm. Jesus. This is the Messiah. He chose the outcast shepherds, mm-hmm. and he chose people who are not even yeah. God worshipers. These are right. these are worshipers of the stars, the magi, foreigners right. from uh, most likely India. Yeah, yeah. That's who he chose to come worship Jesus, mm-hmm. foreigners and the lowest of the low. Um, basically, the janitor, the night, the night cleaners of the church, mm-hmm. the people you never see, they you know clean the gym mm-hmm. floors at nighttime. Right. And then when Jesus goes to that the wedding, he says, "It's not my time." Essentially, my understanding is these are not the people. My job is not to start with the Jews here. Right. The intentionality of Jesus knows that their hearts are hardened, and that if I do a magic trick for them, they're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. So the first, the very next chapter in chapter four. He goes along with the well. He starts with a woman mm-hmm. at midday, basically uh, a, a prostitute of sorts, who even among her own people, has, is, she is full of shame. Yeah. And that's who he chooses. Now, it, it, John says, that when the disciples came back, he's very intentional. He says, they didn't ask Jesus, what are you doing with her? Mm-hmm. There's an inference there that that's something they would have done mm-hmm. or that would have been commonplace, but they didn't because they kind of wanted to wait until it happened. Yeah. But the inference is they should have or would have said something because of their own biases of yeah. what he was doing was out of the norm. Yeah. Right. So even right. they didn't get it, even his own disciples. And then he goes, this is a harvest. Mm-hmm. They still didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Even his own disciples didn't understand Jesus' message is for these people. It's for everyone. So if you look at the intentionality from Jesus' birth to his to his his net not negligence but his he didn't want to yeah. kick off his ministry at a wedding in front of the Jews because mm-hmm. they wouldn't get it he wanted to do it for the Samaritans and the lowest of the low and then the Roman centurion yeah. um, and then he says to the people this man has more faith than anybody in mm-hmm. all Judea mm-hmm. right and even in, in, that, in that same trip and he heals some he heals some Jews he says don't tell anybody don't mm-hmm. tell anyone when he, Jesus heals the man at the pool, he slips into the crowd. The, the guy mm-hmm. didn't know who it was that healed yeah. him, and then he saw him later at the temple. Mm-hmm. But the point is, when it came to the Samaritans and other people, he says, I am the one. I am the Savior. When it came to the Jews, he said, don't tell anyone. Right, right. 
because they weren't going to understand. He wanted to. Yeah. I think he wanted to reconstruct what they their idea of Messiah. Correct. So he knew that they they thought the Messiah in was going to be. In chapter seven, yeah. he goes on a big long a big yeah. long tirade, and he says, "I am the bread of life." And they started grumbling, complaining. Yeah. And then he says, "I am the Messiah," and they wanted to kill him and yeah. throw him off a cliff. And he walks through the crowd. Yeah. He knew they were going to act that way. Anyway, my point in saying this, there's, there's so much intentionality in the way Jesus wants to kick off his ministry, which is, which is really, really good news. My interpretation is that even his own disciples didn't get it. Even the Jews didn't get it. Yeah. Um, anyways, I say that to say I, I, don't, I think that's a pretty big stretch to kind of read into why Jesus told his mother that. It's just um, you wonder if ministry. he didn't, why did he do it then? Maybe he just did it out of respect for <laughs> yeah. mom because she asked yeah, him to. Yeah, it could be. It's just so hard but to know. But there was nothing written after that that says, and then everyone saw and believed, or, or you know, it they says, went yeah, his disciples and, believe in him. And it also says no one came back to Jesus. It says uh, the wedding coordinator went to the bridegroom. Yeah. And said to the bridegroom got the credit. Bridegroom yeah. got the credit. Yeah. Jesus didn't get the credit for that, yeah. right? So there was no inference that Jesus had done any miracle at all. Yeah. It was all about the bridegroom got the credit for that what happened so yeah. it could have been a secret miracle as well maybe he did because his mom asked him to maybe yeah. it would have brought shame on the shame. family yeah but I, I think i think the reason jesus was annoyed that his mom asked him to is jesus ministry had kicked off he picked disciples he'd been tempted for 40 days but these weren't the people yeah this is not the miracle for your friends and family kind of business well um, nicodemus I, met with him in secret at nighttime yeah I, I think that's why he threw nicodemus a bone he, he saw his heart and said this guy really wants to know something i'll have a one-on-one conversation with this guy I think there's something about the water he used to turn into the wine was the water for Jewish ritual. So there's there's a theological point to be made about Jesus bringing new life to these rituals. Yeah. Uh, so he turns ritual water into joy-giving wine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just that interaction. The thing I like about him, in some sense, needing his mother's permission is it explains more about Mary's role and then why she takes his answer of what's between you and me woman as a she, she just says okay do what he tells you mm-hmm. now maybe she just is still leaving it up to him she's like well just if he tells you to do something do it um if he tells you just to serve the water then serve you whatever yeah. but um it's just hard to know there, there's, how to make there's sense two, of that because there's, there's a relationship we don't understand we don't really understand mm-hmm. the relationship between mary and yeah. jesus it could have been one of two things. It could have been like a really cheeky relationship where he's like, mm-hmm. woman, why are you, you know, why yeah. are you about to do this? And she's like, ah, we need, do what he tells we you. We need the video. Or <laughs> she could have repeatedly asked him many times and maybe he was actually annoyed. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was nagging him. Woman. And then she's like, you know why what? Why are you bothering ah, me? Just do what he tells Like It was, it's an yeah. exasperation where now she, yeah. she forced his hand kind of thing. Yeah. We don't know. I just, like you say, I, I mean, as you mentioned, he's already kind of started. He's got the spirit. I don't think Mary could force his hand if he didn't right. really want to do it. Sure. But there is, he does say, it's not my time. Sure. <laughs> but then he does it. So it's uh, hard, hard to know what's going on there. Yeah. Well, I mean, to yeah. dovetail, I, I know you say you don't like John as much as Luke. To dovetail <laughs> everything together, I just, I just feel like there's so much intentionality about John and the language he uses and the things he points out, like mm-hmm. the woman left her jar, mm-hmm. or it was noon. It was it's a very, mm-hmm. very key point mm-hmm. that it was noon. Yeah. I got that from that book because um, yeah. it's really good at picking out those things of yeah. the culture and the context. You don't go get water at midday, especially right. by yourself. Right. You just don't do it. Yeah. But um, I think John is good at pointing things out, and then you start to see how Jesus is very, very intentional about the people he wants to talk to, mm-hmm. the things he says, the order in which he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he starts enumerating the signs. His first sign, second sign. He doesn't enumerate them after that. Right. That's exactly right. He gets us a star at least. Yeah, it's John. Too many mysteries. Why do you, why do you like Luke more? <laughs> well, I actually think that the synoptic gospels are more are they're less abstract theological. So to me, they ring more true to the way Jesus probably really was. To say that, I'm not saying that John didn't have this meeting with this woman. It's just that John's very clear that we didn't get it the first time through. And then so I think he purposefully makes, makes his gospel more theological and more abstract. Yeah. And very overt. Jesus is like, I'm, I'm the guy. You know, I'm the Messiah. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. It just seems... I don't know. John's just too hard to understand what he means. <laughs> there's some hard things in Luke and the other Gospels, but there's more things in John. It's yeah. like every other page, you're like, I have no idea what that means. I mean, I have some ideas, but no... I just I would like to know. Why do you have yeah, to I'd like to understand. Just come out okay. and say what you mean say instead it. of. <laughs> I had a special relationship with Jesus, so you might not do yeah. anything I said. <laughs> Only the I people like in Jesus. Matthew's like that. With like the um, actually, it's just Matthew just saying the parable that Jesus said. But like some of those parables are like, don't get him at all. There's some that are difficult. I mean, there'll be there'll be things that come up in John where you're like, okay, not exactly sure what that means. Yeah. So, but I'm John's growing on me. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for teaching. Yeah, sure. <laughs>